was Warren Wiersbe who said, when, when God wants to accomplish a work, he always prepares his workers and puts them in the right places at the right time. We continue this morning in uh, the series Restore, Revive, and Reform. This morning we have entitled the message Renewing the Vision. And we'll be looking at together Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. So if you have your copy of God's Word, you're going to want to turn to Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. That's just to the left of the book of Psalms. Turn back a couple of books and you'll be at Nehemiah. This morning we're going to read together Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 20. So you'll want to find that. Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 11 to 20. So we get a taste of the, the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. And is, as is our custom, in honor of God's word as God's people... Let me ask you to stand if you are able as we read together Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 11 to 20. After I arrived in Jerusalem and had been there three days, I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. I went out at night through the valley gate toward the serpent's well and the dung gate, and I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that had been broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. I went on to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but farther down I, it became too narrow for my animal to go through. So I went up at night by way of the valley and inspected the wall, then heading back, I entered through the valley gate and returned. The officials did not know where I had been or what I was doing, for I had not yet told the Jews, priests, nobles, officials, or the rest of those who would do the work. So I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me and, that the king had, and what the king had said to me. They said, let's start rebuilding. And their hands were strengthened to do this good work. When Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about this, they mocked and despised us and said, what is this you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? I gave them this reply. The God of the heavens is the one who will grant us success. We, his servants, will start building, but you have no share, right, or historic claim in Jerusalem. This is God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, this is indeed your word, and this is a very personal word to us today. The story of Nehemiah as he sought to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem because he saw that the city was in disgrace. Father, in much the same way, we are seeking to rebuild 
your work here. After the, uh, the time of devastation that has been caused by COVID-19 and the related, the related things, crisis and chaos that have come along after it. We pray now that you would open your word to us, help us not only to understand it, but to apply it. And Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I once read the story about this young lady who was applying for college. And as she filled out that application, she came to a question that said, Are you a leader? And being an honest and conscientious young lady, she didn't want to answer incorrectly. And so she put the word no. And feeling like that had cost her admission to the college, she sealed up her application and sent it off. A few weeks later, she received this reply from the college. Dear applicant, a study of the application forms reveals that this year our college will have 1,452 new leaders. We are accepting you because we feel it is imperative that they have at least one follower. You know, we are in a culture that sees leadership as being something that is almost uh, a birthright of Americans. That we're all leaders if we're only just leading ourselves. But as a follower of Christ, we also come to understand that before we can ever lead anyone, we must learn to humbly submit to the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow Him. It is only in learning to follow that we come to learn how to lead, and that leadership, which is part and parcel of the victorious Christian life, is servant leadership. You know, Nehemiah had learned that lesson, the lesson that is expressed by the Apostle Paul who wrote, you must follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So what does this passage say? What, what do Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2 say? Well, we see in this story, Nehemiah, who is concerned about Jerusalem, and so his brother who has been there comes back to Persia, where Nehemiah serves as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And Nehemiah asks him about Jerusalem, and he tells Hanani, his brother, tells him that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been burned by fire. And so Nehemiah sees that as a great disgrace, and he is, he is greatly discouraged by this, and he does, he does what comes natural to him. He goes down on his knees, and he begins to pray, and he prays, O Lord, give me favor with the king, and he prays that for four months, and after four months, he goes to the king. And the king asks him what it is he wants, because he can see the concern on Nehemiah's face. And Nehemiah tells him about Jerusalem's walls being torn down and how that is a great disgrace to his God, and he wants to go back and rebuild the walls. And so the king grants his request. 
says, give me an itinerary, tell me when you're going to come back, and, and Nehemiah does exactly that, and he releases him, and not only that, but he sends him with a, an armed guard to get him to Jerusalem safely. And so when, as we read, when Nehemiah gets there, he goes out and inspects the wall at night, not telling anyone what it is he's about to do. And so after he's done that, he get, gathers the people together and makes his proposal to the people, and the people respond, let's re get, rebuild, let's get busy. Well, when they start that, Sanballat and others who are opposed to the rebuilding of the wall uh, get together and say, are you, are you rebelling against the king? To which Nehemiah, as we read, answers, you have no part in this. We're going to rebuild the wall, and, and you don't have to worry about it. We're God will take care of this for us. So what does this passage mean? Well, we see here first the response. And we see that in Nehemiah 1, verses 1 through 11. And the principle here is this. The Lord will answer when we faithfully seek Him in prayer. Now, as I just said, Nehemiah had the information from Hanani that Jerusalem was a disgrace because the walls were torn down and the great gates had been burned with fire. Now, Hanani may not have been aware that there had been a previous attempt at rebuilding the walls. But the same people that oppose Nehemiah when he gets there had opposed those who were attempting to rebuild the walls initially. And they sent a letter to Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes, as we read in Ezra chapter 4, responded in this way. Now therefore, issue an order for these men to stop so that this city will not be rebuilt until I so order. So Nehemiah was in distress, and he did what any good believer will do. He sought the Lord in prayer, and he continued to seek the Lord in prayer, not for a night or two, or a day or two, or even for a week. He sought the Lord diligently, for four months. And after four months, the, the answer came very clearly to go and build. Nehemiah was well aware of what Jeremiah had said in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 to 14. He said, you will call to me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. This is Jeremiah speaking for the Lord. He says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. This is the Lord's declaration. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and places where I banished you. This is the Lord's declaration. I will restore you to the place from which I deported you. So as you see, the Lord will answer when we faithfully seek him in prayer. Secondly, we see the request, and we see that in Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 8. And the principle here is that the Lord will answer our requests in His time. Now, let's be clear from the very start of this. The Lord answers all our prayers. When we talk about unanswered prayers, it, just, it simply means that the Lord didn't answer the way we wanted Him to answer. But the Lord answers all our prayers. One of three ways. The answer may be yes, 
that our request has been granted? The answer may be no, that our request has not been granted. Or the answer may be, wait, it's not in the Lord's time. So Nehemiah had been urgently praying for four months. And God kept saying, wait. And finally, one day, the day came when Nehemiah was given the opportunity to go before Artaxerxes in such a way to ask about rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, and he was given exactly what he asked for from the king. You know, what Nehemiah was wanting to do was simply to go and rebuild the walls, but God put him off for four months. Psalm 27, 14 says, Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Now why? Why would God put all of this off for four months? Well, the answer actually comes from the book of Daniel chapter 9. You see, in Daniel chapter 9, there's a very detailed prophecy about when God would send His anointed one, whom we know as Jesus Christ. And so, the reason for the timing of this comes down to God's timetable for future events. He chose the specific month, the month of Nisan, in which to answer Nehemiah's prayer. In Daniel 9.25 it says, Know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, the ruler, will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be rebuilt with a plaza and a moat, but in difficult times. Now, I won't get into all the details and all the mathematical stuff of how all this works out, but know and understand that Daniel 9.25 predicted that the starting point for the timetable of all this for the coming of the Messiah began with the date given in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. So there we see at least the major reason why God delayed answering Nehemiah's prayer for those four months. You know, the Lord may not answer our prayers immediately. We may get an immediate answer, but then again, He may say, wait. But He has a very good reason for saying, wait. He's not just putting us off just for the sake of putting us off. There are things going on that we have no idea. And yet they are on God's timetable. What we need to understand is that God will never put us off until it's too late. Things will never be too late. Then in God's time, things will always be just right. Because the Lord answers our requests in His time. And thirdly, we, we see the return in Nehemiah chapter nine, uh, 2, rather, verses 9 to 20. And the principle here is that Nehemiah began the work of moving the Lord's people onto the Lord's agenda. You know, uh, we see Nehemiah surveying the work to be done at night because he wanted to do it secretly. He probably didn't want to get the people's hopes up or 
On the other side of things, he didn't want to give those who were naysayers the time to build arguments against rebuilding the wall and possibly even leading to a riot against him. Um, and, you know, another reason for Nehemiah's secrecy was probably that he wanted to, to formulate a plan in his own mind before anyone else had a chance to rebut that plan. So when he did present his ideas, the people responded positively. Notice here Nehemiah's motivational techniques. First, he gathered the facts. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. I got up at night and took a few men with me. I didn't tell anyone what my God had laid on my heart to do for Jerusalem. The only animal I took was the one I was riding. Secondly, he created a need in his hearers. Look at verse 17. So I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned. Come, let's rebuild Jerusalem's wall so that we will no longer be a disgrace. He reviewed past successes. Look at the very first part of Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18. I told them how the gracious hand of my God had been on me. Fourthly, he, he revealed the adequate resources he had at his disposal. Notice the middle part of verse 18, and what the king had said to me. He had the whole backing of the Persian Empire and the king's personal bankroll. And finally, he secured his hearer's commitment. Look at the last part of verse 18 of Nehemiah 2. They said, let's start rebuilding, and their hands were strengthened to do this good work. You see, Nehemiah began the work of moving the Lord's people onto the Lord's agenda. So how do I apply these principles to my life? In this episode of Restore, Revive, and Reform, Nehemiah teaches us to raise, return, and rebuild the Lord's work in our midst. You know, the best definition of spiritual leadership that I have heard or read comes from the book Spiritual Leadership from Henry and Richard Blackaby. And it's stated in this way, Spiritual leadership is moving people onto the Lord's agenda. We see here, first of all, that Nehemiah teaches us to raise the Lord's work. And the Blackabees go on to say that spiritual leaders use spiritual means to lead people onto God's agenda. In other words, to move people onto that agenda... They need the Lord's help, and that is achieved through prayer. You know, it is interesting to note that of the 406 verses in the book of Nehemiah, that the prayers of Nehemiah fill 46 of those verses, or approximately 11% of the book. Nehemiah was a man of prayer, and he devoted himself to prayer. And he prayed before he did the work. Chuck Swindoll noted, here is the genius of Nehemiah's leadership. He resists the normal temptation to pick up the conductor's baton and orchestrate the wall's reparation himself. Instead, he goes to his knees, beseeching the one whose place it is to conduct all the affairs of men and meld their efforts into one harmonious plan. 
Nehemiah was a man who fought on his knees. So how can we achieve this? Well, we, we can get there through routine daily prayer. As, as I have noted before, Daniel and others prayed three times a day. They prayed in the morning. Before the, their day got started, they asked the Lord to order their thoughts, their actions, and their conversations for the day. They prayed at noon. There was a prayer they lifted up either at lunchtime or in the early afternoon to replenish their spiritual and mental energies in the midst of a hectic day so they could continue to please the Lord. And then there's evening prayer. In the evening prayer, we ask the Lord to impart wisdom to basically bring the day to a close and prepare us for rest and to get us ready for the day that He has for us tomorrow. The Blackabees also note that spiritual leaders work from the Lord's agenda. So they have to know what that agenda is. So spiritual leaders seek the Lord's will. Then they mobilize the Lord's people to pursue His plan. Notice how Nehemiah does this. First, he had a clear recognition of the need. Secondly, he was concerned personally with the need. As some people might say, he had some skin in the game. He wasn't standing on the outside looking in. He was part of the solution. Thirdly, he, he carried the need to the Lord first in prayer. Before he started organizing thoughts about how things could be better, he went to the Lord first. And fourthly, notice he committed to meet the need as the Lord led him. In other words, he didn't devise this, this great master plan and then submitted it to the Lord for his approval. He asked the Lord what he should do. When the Lord told him, he committed to what the Lord would have him to do. It's time for us to do exactly those four things. You see, Nehemiah teaches us to raise and to return to the Lord's work. At the end of Nehemiah 2, verses 4 to 6, are the words, So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. Those words demonstrate an important leadership quality, the ability to plan and to organize. Nehemiah wasn't haphazard in what he did. He knew what he wanted to do, and he knew when he wanted to do it. He had spent those four months waiting for God to give him the green light to go ahead, putting together, under God's leadership, his itinerary for what needed to happen. And so, once he got the go-ahead both from God and from the king, he could submit those plans to the king, get his approval, and get on with the work. Not in a haphazard kind of way, but in a very thoughtful way. Just like it says in Luke 14, 28, as Jesus says to us, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. What is the first thing you will do? Won't you sit down and figure out how much it will cost and to see if you have enough money to pay for it? 
So how do we prayerfully plan? Well, again, there's, there's four things we need to consider. First, we need to count the cost in prayer and consistent Bible study. Secondly, we need to consider the Lord's provisions first. Instead of taking out our wallets and seeing how much we have, we need to call upon what God has for us to work with first. Thirdly, we need to concentrate on what the Lord is doing, not what we think we need to do. This is the beauty of what Henry Blackaby pointed out to us in the study, Experiencing God. We need to get on God's agenda, not ask God to get on ours. God's agenda always works itself out. So if we see the Lord working to bring His people together in worship, we should join in that work instead of doing anything else. And you know, that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants to bring us together to worship as one. And finally, we need to courageously and faithfully join the Lord in that work. James Collins wrote in the book, Good to Great, what he called level five leaders are those who have an ambition first and foremost for the company and concern for its success rather than for their own personal riches and personal renown. John 5, 19, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the Son is not able to do anything on His own, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son likewise does those things. In other words, Jesus said He didn't do anything He didn't see His Father doing first. And if, that, if Jesus, as the Son of God, in human flesh, was doing that kind of thing, how much more should we look to see what Jesus is doing and then follow His lead instead of trying to do our own thing and asking God to bless it? So, Nehemiah teaches us to raise, return, and to rebuild the Lord's work. You know, spiritual leaders work with people, influencing them to move onto the Lord's agenda. The idea in our day is to begin the work of rebuilding the church after the ongoing devastation of COVID-19 and the continued crisis and chaos that has come after it. In Mark 6-7, we read, Then Jesus called the twelve to him and began to send them out two by two, giving them authority over unclean spirits. And from this, we see that we need to do the following. First, we need to rebuild by beginning with prayer. If you haven't spent this last 11 months asking the Lord how we could get back together when this thing is over, we need to begin now asking the Lord what He is up to, how He is has been at work since day one to bring us back together after this thing. Secondly, we rebuild by inviting others to join us. It's not, it's not enough for us just to begin to worship as one. We need to bring others along with us. As Gene Wilkes observed, servant leadership begins 
with a call to be a servant to the mission of God. Not our own personal mission, not our own personal trifles, not our own personal preferences, but the mission of God. Let's bring others along with us. Notice also, we were built by sharing the Lord's vision with those working with us. Again, Gene Wilkes says, Leaders invite others to join them on mission. Too many times in the past, we have been guilty of talking down the mission of God in favor of our own preferences. But folks, there isn't anything else that's going to work now. There aren't fancy slogans and, and glitzy programs. God has, sh- has removed all of those things. He has shaken us to the point where the, only the eternal remains. And now He beckons to us to come with Him, to follow Him, to get on His agenda. And we must do that, and we must do it now. And notice, finally, we, we rebuild by working in spite of opposition. You notice there are others who are trying to say, you can't rebuild the wall, you can't do this, it's in opposition to what the king wants. You notice how Nehemiah responded. He said, God has got our back. God is the one who's in charge of this. God is the one who will see it through. To quote Gene Wilkes one last time, when we trust that God is in control of our lives, we can take big risks. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, we must see this initiative to worship as one and its companion initiative, who's your one, inviting others to come to Christ through our own personal story and telling them the story of Jesus. We must see those as the Lord's strategy for us to move forward. Because the bottom line here is this. Nehemiah teaches us to raise, return, and rebuild the Lord's work. On Sunday, May the 19th, 2019, the First Baptist Church of Sutherland Springs, Texas, took a huge step forward with the opening of its new church building. Southern Baptists rallied around this church following the tragic shooting that took place during a worship service there, killing 26 people and injuring 20 on November the 5th of 2017. In the aftermath, church members continually pointed to God and their faith in Jesus Christ as what carried them through that time. At the May 19, 2019 building dedication service, Pastor Frank Pomeroy referred to multiple ways his people have seen God reveal himself despite the agony and the heartache. Though there was tragedy, he said, God brings roses out of ashes. He brings glory through those who are called according to his purpose even when we don't understand everything that is happening. In the same way, our Heavenly Father now wants to bring glory to Himself by gathering us back together to worship and to witness as one. Will you join me? Will you join us in this grand effort?
Let's pray together. Father, this morning you want to lead us back onto your agenda. Just as Jesus is the good shepherd, he comes for his sheep to to regather them, to re-engage them, and to rebuild them. And so, Father, we meet here today in this way to worship as one, to hear what you have to say to us, not any one pastor, deacon, Sunday school teacher, choir member, church member, to hear what you have to say and then to follow your lead. Father, help us Help us to know for sure what your word is speaking to us, to believe it, and to apply it to our lives. And Father, if if there's someone listening today who doesn't know Jesus, who isn't on your agenda at all, may you bring him or her to a place where they will turn from their own selfish agenda their own sinful agenda, and turn to your holy and righteous way. And they'll come home to Jesus to know his grace and forgiveness and that you give him or her the Holy Spirit to help them follow your son Jesus for the rest of their lives. Father, I pray today there may be others who will rededicate themselves to doing what you have called all of us to do, and that is to extend and expand the kingdom of God by declaring and proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Father, I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.